You are listening to Veterinary Mental Health, Turning the Stethoscope Around, Episode 2, presented by Thoughtful Life Counseling. Welcome to the podcast. I am Taylor Miller, a veterinarian and a licensed professional counseling intern. Mental health and work-life balance are critical issues for veterinary professionals. While not intended as a substitute for individual counseling, this podcast seeks to address many of the mental health concerns common to members of our profession. Hello and welcome everyone. Today we are going to discuss overwhelm. I did look it up. Overwhelm can be used as a noun, although it is not as common. For those of you who are grammar junkies, if it's not currently in common use, I suspect it will be because we have a lot more opportunities to use the word overwhelm as a noun. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, overwhelm noun is the fact or state of being overwhelmed, which is to be overpowered in thought or feeling. Overwhelm in general is a state of uncertainty. It indicates an inability to predict our environment, which can be very threatening. And that threat response, when it's activated, usually gives us three options, fight, flight, or freeze. Our routines have been interrupted. Our standard operating procedures have needed to be rewritten. And on top of all of this, the things that we usually do to take care of ourselves have become more difficult. I will be addressing routines and self-care specifically in the next two episodes, so I'm going to leave them a little bit behind today in order to focus on what it feels like to be overwhelmed, where that sensation comes from, and what's happening in our brain while we are overwhelmed. I mentioned that during times of threat, we enter that state of fight, flight, and freeze. And we see this all the time in our work, in our dogs who freeze or fight, in our cats who freeze or flight, in our horses who generally prefer flight, in cows, in all of the creatures that we tend to work with. We observe these three responses to threat. And we can have the same response when we are in states of threat. And usually we think of threat as being on the other end of that aggressive dog, that pivotal moment where you have to decide, do I move? Do I freeze? What's going to keep me safe? Or that hyper aware state that you get in when you're assessing threat. So say you have three toddlers and you're trying to cross a busy street. You have two hands and you've sort of got one finger of your second hand hooked into the back of the shirt of the third toddler. Or say you've got three dogs, whichever whichever flavor you prefer. And you're about to cross a busy street. All of your senses are on alert. You are looking around, you are listening, you are monitoring for any sense of threat, any car that's going to come unexpectedly that may possibly damage your little family of four-legged or two-legged creatures. And so during that space of crossing the street, you are in that hyper-aware situation. You are scanning for threats, scanning, scanning, scanning. And that's appropriate. That keeps you safe. That keeps your loved ones safe. Or you are in that state where a patient has crashed and the entire world shrinks down to a space of maybe five feet that encompasses your techs, your creature, and your instruments. And for five, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it takes to save that animal or work with that animal, that's the only thing that your brain is focused on. But that kind of laser focus is difficult to sustain beyond that period of true emergency. And so what's difficult about our current events and our current times is that our brains are processing a high 
high volume of threat assessments on a daily basis. And these threat assessments are made to feel urgent because of the level of emotion that is associated with them. And that level of emotion is contributed to by how we are presented with news articles, how our family members are responding, how our colleagues are responding, the fact that just about every daily routine and rhythm has been affected by the COVID pandemic means that we have constant reminders every hour of every day that things are different and different can be threatening to our, our little lizard brains. And so our lizard brains have taken on this task of assuming that we are in a new and threatening environment and that it needs to be on constant alert. And this constant alert means that focus has become more difficult. And with increased difficulty, we are expending more energy on focusing on the tasks that make up our days, whether that's work tasks, homeschool tasks, novel tasks that take not only focus, but creativity to complete. So all of these areas that previously we allowed to run on autopilot or existed as non-threatening events, our brain is now treating as though they were threatening or might possibly be threatening. And with so much that our brain is trying to process, we have gotten stuck in a loop where there is too much novel information, sensation, information to process So instead of methodically processing and eliminating items as threats, our brain is spinning. It's in the middle of that crosswalk and it's watching, it's watching, it's watching, but it's not resolving anything. So we don't have any rest and we become exhausted. It's exhausting to be in a constant state of assessment, particularly when there's no recognizable end in sight. Your brain becomes overwhelmed when you are unable to methodically assess what is happening in your brain in a way that helps to reduce the noise. And for some people, this sense of being overwhelmed results in a shutdown type state. There's the desire to stay in bed, to take naps. Energy is difficult to come by. You feel heavy. Your motivation is nil. These are the people that come home from a regular shift. Maybe it is a 10 hour shift and that's always tiring, but This is the shift that you've been doing for 10 years. And yes, you're tired, but you're not exhausted after your shift. And these days you come home and you're just wiped out. You have absolutely no energy left to give. You've just been exhausted. And there are the other end of the spectrum. There are people who whose sense of overwhelm and threat has pushed them into more of a fight or flight type response. And these are people who are feeling anxious or jittery. And they have kind of this compelling sense that they they need to work harder, do more, get things done, push through, push through. And there's this sense that if they can just put in enough effort, everything will fall into place. These may be some of our people who are doing sort of Herculean reorganizing tasks on top of everything else. There are some people for whom that's fun, and this is just a stress relief and it works for them. But there are other people who are are scrubbing baseboards or are taking on new responsibilities in kind of an attempt to release all of this overwhelm and threat-based adrenaline that's just keeping them jittery and active. 
Neither of these responses, the freeze response or the fight or flight response, are adaptive in our current circumstances. They are meant to be activated in situations where certain death is a possibility and these are the only ways out. You either hide from the predator or you run away or fight the predator. But right now, when we are settling into what is likely to be months and months more of an altered reality, these aren't going to serve us. These responses aren't going to serve us. So what we need to do is find a way to return some method to this this madness or this chaos that's in our head and find a way for our brains to adjust in a healthy manner to our current sense of threat or sense of overwhelm. And I use this word threat to indicate what our brain is receiving as input, not necessarily to describe how you yourself are reacting to the presence of a virus among us. You may feel very rational about what's going on. You may feel like this is something that I can handle. I understand it. My background in epidemiology is going to get me through here. I know how to be reasonable and safe at the same time. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't also feeling overwhelmed because there is so much new information to process. And from a lizard brain standpoint, something that is new has the potential to be deadly until we evaluate it carefully and methodically. And when there is such an overload of novel information, your brain doesn't have time to focus and eliminate threats so they keep piling up. So that's what I'm referring to when I speak about threat is not necessarily your rational assessment, but what's going on in your brain at the lizard level. So we're in this state of constant vigilance, where we have an ongoing mental assault that's composed of novel information and our attempts to recraft our normal everyday life. And despite what feels like a tornado that's taken up residence in your brain, We are also in a state where additional work is required of us. For those that are continuing to work, the shape and texture and manner of work has shifted. Curbside appointments are our new normal, and many parts of that may be enjoyable. We get to see some pets without that protective quality that occurs when their owners are present, and so we have seen some improved behaviors. We get to work more quickly because we aren't explaining what we're doing as we go. So there are certainly some upsides, but you're also having to navigate a whole new organizational strategy around communication with owners, phone calls that aren't being picked up, missed phone calls, two phone calls at once, trying to get information through technicians, through phone calls that otherwise flowed naturally from your time in the room. So Whether or not you are enjoying it or not enjoying it or enjoying parts of it, it is still something new that your brain is processing and having to actively think about. You've got kids who are at home, and so you're navigating homeschool for the first time. Or maybe they're young kids, three-year-olds and five-year-olds who are locked up in condo-sized living rooms that don't have access to their usual parks. That's a lot to deal with, and watching out for their mental states in addition to your own is a lot to deal with. Errands are becoming tricky. There are rules at grocery stores that didn't used to exist. So 
in addition to the global threat, there's also so much more effort that your brain is processing on a daily basis. There's worry that may be present for yourself, for family members, for friends that are immunocompromised, or else people that you love that aren't taking this as seriously as you are taking it. And so you have this disconnect because of a difference in how you're approaching your stay-at-home order or your interactions with other people. There's likely a lot of worry about job security. We are lucky. We are essential workers. We have the opportunity to complete our jobs even during this COVID pandemic. But that doesn't mean that it's the same. We may have reduced hours. We may have difficulty paying staff if you're an owner. You may have challenges with staff morale. Certainly working in strained circumstances can bring to a head any problems staff-wise that have been simmering. On the other hand, you may be witnessing your staff pulling together in an incredible display of unity and cooperation. But even that comes at a cost because that means that you're you're digging deep and giving more. And at a time when you're unlikely to be replenishing your stores, that can cause burnout. So there's a lot to be thinking about. There are some people who have chosen not to work because of an immunocompromised family member. And while it might be the right choice for them and they would make the same choice, having to choose income and security over the safety and health of your loved ones is a huge stress point. Whichever way you spin it, there's stress and there's overwhelm. And because of the way our beautiful, beautiful brains work, we are also likely sure that we're failing at something. Maybe that three and five-year-old are watching five hours of TV a day, and we promised when we became parents that screen time was going to be a no-go. Books only, our kids are going to be raised right. And so now we're failing. I use that word because that's the word that's in your head, not because it's what I believe. We are not failing Maybe your dogs used to go to doggy daycare three times a week, and now they're stuck in the apartment. And when you got your herding breed, you swore that that herding breed was never going to be one of the neurotic ones because it was going to have all the exercise it needed, and you were prepared to organize your life around that goal. And it's just not happening right now, and he chewed up a pillow yesterday. Or maybe you saw a group of three to five people on a regular basis, and for each other, That meeting was something that kept you all healthy and comfortable with life and mentally well, and that's not happening these days. And so not only do you feel the loss yourself, but you worry that you're letting your friends down. When our brains are in overwhelm, we are more likely to evaluate things from the negative side. So we have a negative bias when we're feeling overwhelmed. And that's a safety mechanism. That's our lizard brain making sure that we don't dismiss something as non-threatening that we should have instead evaluated as dangerous to our health and well-being. So far, I have been discussing the pandemic and our response to it and our sense of overwhelm from the perspective of somebody whose life was, if not brilliant, at least in rough balance prior to the pandemic. And even in the best of times, finding balance can be difficult as we juggle our many, many roles. Person, partner, parent, professional, citizen, friend, the list goes on. And that's with our normal coping patterns and resources available. So what if prior to the pandemic, you were going through a personal crisis 
a personal illness, a loss, a relationship difficulty, something like that can make the additional stress of the pandemic almost unbearable. And the word overwhelmed is probably falling vastly short of your actual emotional state. For you, I would really ask that you find somebody to speak to. Most of the counselors that I'm aware of have moved to a telehealth format, so you should be able to find someone who you can connect with without leaving your home. Whether or not hours match up is always something tricky, but there are resources despite this stay-at-home order that you can access, so do reach out. You are absolutely worth it. So how do we address this Herculean task, this sense of overwhelm? How do we bring it down into manageable pieces that we can accurately and correctly assess and eliminate that vague uncertainty that is leading us to feel the flight or fight response or freeze, as we've discussed? One thing I know about my audience is that we have accomplished Herculean tasks before. We have gotten into vet school we have gotten through vet school, we have started a new job and gotten through that first day, that second day, that first week, that first month. For those of you who are parents, you have gotten through those sleep regressions and cluster feeding times. You have figured out that there is no stable normal. There's only the new normal, this week's normal, next week's normal. So we know how to do this. We have done this. You take one step, then you take another, and then you take another. And what I would like to offer you is a map. In vet school, you have a map. You have your course list, you have your next test, you have your reading list, and that helps with the task. Today, I'm going to offer you some tools that I have found useful for reducing that noise and for stabilizing that chaos in our heads, for quieting down that lizard brain and letting our chimp brain take a stab at it. And my favorite of these tools is a mind map. You've probably heard the recommendation that before you go to bed, you write down your to-do list on your notebook next to your, you know, on your nightstand as a way of getting those things out of your brain and onto paper so that you can go to sleep. And that's good. And I like that. And that works. But what I find even more useful is a mind map because it puts in visual form the connection of all your thoughts in your head. And sometimes seeing those connections on paper and realizing perhaps how large a topic is or how much of your available surface it takes can help you focus on a topic and get something straightened out. So once you have this mind map created and on paper, those thoughts become immobile. And once they're stabilized, you can pin them down, you can see them, you can focus on them. And you know that you're not going to forget something else that's important because it's also on paper. You can be methodical and divide them into categories. What is actionable? What is not actionable? What you can make progress on? What is simply fodder for rumination? And in those cases, you can decide, okay, this is a topic that is one that I cannot solve or resolve. It worries me, but I'm going to reserve this time to think about it or discuss it with a loved one. And otherwise, I'm going to deliberately put it away and not think about it. And for those that might be feeling 
confused about why you're feeling overwhelmed. You really think you have it together. You are not upset. You have everything under control, but you still are having that vague sense of just things being wrong. Sometimes having a mind map created and in front of you can answer that question. What's wrong? This can be helpful if you and a partner are having difficulty understanding your mutual responses to our current circumstances. Having a mind map And especially if you can convince a partner to write a mind map out, you can compare and realize areas of focus might be so vastly different that you're not taking the other person's area of concern into account. So it can be a great communication tool. I also find them nice as visual journal entries. So keeping them over time, you can see how areas of focus and areas of concern alter dramatically, even month to month. But these mind maps give you a way to distill your thoughts and find order in chaos. This allows your brain to relax its vigilance because you have assessed all threats and all threats are known, which means all threats can be either acknowledged or dismissed. So your lizard brain can sit on that warm rock, sun itself, just relax and you can take control. The other thing that I will offer as a tool is a body scan. And this is a mindfulness tool that I really like because we, especially as professionals engaged in a field where mental effort is rewarded, we spend a lot of time up in our head. We activate our beautiful and powerful brain to solve all of our problems, assess threats, deal with threats, etc., But one thing that we lose touch of sometimes is what's going on in our body. And our bodies, just like the bodies of all of the patients that we see, offer a lot of information and feedback for us. And so taking time to go down into our body and take stock can give us a lot of information that maybe our beautiful brains aren't able to do. So I have a guided body scan available on my website that you can listen to. I do usually recommend that you do this following the mind map because that'll be the time when your brain is at its quietest and it's easier to do a body scan if your brain is quiet. And the two combined will hopefully give you at least a temporary sense of relaxation or peace or calm because you know what's going on in your head, you know what's going on in your body, and if you know what's going on, you can act as necessary. And that's where we're really good. We are really good at acting. We know how to take information and create plans and strategies and move forward with that information. It's just having the information in a form that we can access that can sometimes be tricky. So that is the information for today. I know that was a lot, but I hope that the mind map is helpful and I would love to hear some feedback on whether it was useful to you or not. I have an example um, on my website of what a completed mind map can look like and instructions as well on how to construct one. The next two podcasts are also part of this opening three pack, the COVID self-care package. And we will be discussing routines and self-care specifically in those. I do hope you join me for them. And thank you for joining me today for this very first veterinary mental health podcast. This has been a mental health moment brought to you by Thoughtful Life Counseling. If you found today's episode helpful, please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving me a review. You can download the handout mentioned in today's episode by visiting my website at thoughtfullifecounseling.com. 
to have the handouts delivered by email, please sign up to receive my twice-monthly newsletter. If you have topic requests, questions, or comments, please contact me through my website or any one of my social media platforms. Take care of yourself and tune in for part two of my COVID self-care package, Revising Your Routines.